among you. And I, I want to say thank you for my family, uh, for all the love, for all the words of encouragement, for all your prayers, uh, just for the way this church has treated us. Thank you so very much. I'd like to introduce my family and ask them to come up. We're going to sing a song for you this evening. So with, the, with me is the most beautiful woman in the room, my wife, Margie, and uh, my oldest daughter, Natalie Joy, and Gabriella Lee. So Natalie's 16, going on 17 next month. Gabby's 14. My big boy, Santiago, he's 12, and uh, we're going to sing a song. Manantial de sangre de Manuel que purifica cada cual que se Sorry, we're going to sing another one because that was not the right one that we're going to sing tonight. We just followed along. I'm sorry. Oh. 
When she started, I was like, what? Oh, <laughs> okay, we'll do that one. <laughs> okay, so uh, tonight I wanted to share a little bit of who I am and how we got to where we are. I know most of the church knows us, and it's encouraging to show up at a church where people don't say, oh, you're our missionary, what's your name? But people greeted us as Nathan and Margie and Natalie and Gabby, and that meant so much to us. Thank you for that. But uh, for those who do not remember us very well, or for those who may not know us yet, uh, we are third-generation missionaries. So it started back with my grandfather. My grandfather was uh, living in Texas, in Austin, Texas, if I'm not mistaken. Is it? Yeah, it's Austin, Texas. And uh, he was there and came to know Jesus Christ right around his 40s. And a few years afterwards... Uh, they met a missionary for the first time. It was a Southern Baptist church. They didn't have very many, very many missionaries coming around. But uh, a man came needing help with, with a ministry, a unique ministry up in the mountains. And my grandfather was so impressed by what this man was doing and the desire to go into another country and help that he surrendered that night. He remembers going down the altar and getting on his knees and saying, God, I'm willing to go. And uh, the only obstacle I have is that you convince my wife. And as he was getting up, he says he looked over and there was grandma on her knees saying, God, I'll go wherever you call my husband to go. And uh, so they sold everything they had, paid off every debt they had, and moved to Peru. My mom was 15 years old. She was given the option to stay in the U.S. to study with a family or travel to Peru and, and homeschool from there. So she decided to go with her parents to the country of Peru and there they ministered with this family in Peru for several years and this man after finishing a few years of ministry he said all right I'm done I'm going back and my grandfather said no I believe God would have a stay and these people need a church and we want to start a church in this area so they did uh, grandpa stayed and planted a church up in the mountains 
Now, if you ever talked with him, he's with the Lord now. But if you would have ever met him and talked to him, he would have said, I don't recommend anybody do it the way I did it. But uh, he was obedient to God's calling in his life. And he did plant a church up in the mountains. And uh, it was up in the mountains of Peru that uh, a church way down in the city of Lima, the capital of Peru, invited my grandfather's church to come down and, and join a youth activity, a youth camp. And uh, they're my parents. My dad was the youth pastor of this church in the city. And my parents met for the first time and then eventually fell in love and got married. Several years passed and the pastor that had established the church, it was an American missionary, had returned back home and my dad was left as the national pastor. And he was pastoring. A friend of his left for Venezuela. And as he was in the country of Venezuela working with an oil company, he returned after two years, and my dad asked him, hey, how did it go in Venezuela? And he was sharing this and that. And then he asked him, well, how about churches? And he said, I was there for two years and didn't see a single uh, Baptist church, a church that was preaching the good word of God. So my dad was burdened for Venezuela and began praying, and there's power in prayer. So many times we think prayer is more about moving God to my will, but every time we pray, what God does is move our hearts to his will. And make us align to what God wants us to do. And he was standing Sunday after standing, looking at Sunday after Sunday, looking at the church and saying, we, we need somebody to go to Venezuela. Pray that if this is what God would have you do. And one Sunday he felt that God was staring right down the aisle and saying, I want you to go, Carlos. And he said he held on to his pulpit at the church where he felt he was very comfortable. And he said, oh, no, God, I, I'm doing good right here where I am. But as time passed, this became very clear for him. So he left Peru and came to the States, uh, joined a mission board, Baptist International Missions, and uh, did some language in English. And my mom was, uh, at the time, finishing a course at Tennessee Temple. And that's where m my sister and myself, I'm the oldest, uh, were born. And my two older brothers had been born in Peru. So in, in the United States, we prepared and moved over to Venezuela when I was two years old, when the government finally issued my parents' visas to go into the country. So we got into Venezuela in 1983. I was two years old. You can do the math now how old I am. And uh, we, uh, I had the opportunity to just grow up in the country of Venezuela. My grandparents, to close off a little bit of their circle of, of life, uh, they were in Peru, then went to the States, uh, joined Baptist International Missions as well. From, from Peru, they went to Spain as missionaries. And after several years and after planning a church in Spain, retired... And went down to Venezuela with the money they had for retirement and bought a campground and, and built their home on this campground and brought people in to build this camp ministry up that's still going on in Venezuela, praise the Lord. And uh, after a while, crime got really uh, bad in the area where campground was at. And my grandparents had to leave uh, because they were targeted being from the United States. And so they left for the United States and retired in Florida. And they did that for, I don't know, like 30 seconds, I don't know. Uh, but they got bored real quick and said, this is for old people, this isn't for us. I remember my grandparents saying that to me. And so they decided to go down to Puerto Rico and help a pastor who was starting a church, a missionary, who was planting a church in Puerto, in Puerto Rico. And they went there to help him with evangelization and helping organize this church and did that until Grandpa's health could no longer uh, stand it. And so he, they came back and probably about five years uh, Later, he passed away, which would have been about three years now. But uh, that's my grandfather's story. Uh, just a man who's always said yes to what God had him to do. And when he saw a need, 
he always uh, went for, for that with a, an open heart. And I'm thankful for that Christian heritage. Now, my dad went to Venezuela and started a church called the Holy Bible Baptist Church. And in this church, then he later on started El Instituto Bíblico Bautista de Venezuela, a Bible Institute that I graduated from. But I had the opportunity just to grow up serving the Lord and, and being involved in different church activities. I was sharing in Sunday school. At, at eight years old, I was at Sunday school class, and a teacher shared a, a message on salvation. And she uh, did something that's not too wise to do with children and asked them, raise your hand if you want to ask Jesus in your heart. And so all my classmates raised their hand, and I remember peeking with I wasn't supposed to be looking, but I was looking around, and all of them had their arms up, so I was like, oh, I guess I have to raise my hand too. Uh, it's a cool thing to do. And I remember having someone explain to me what salvation was and so forth, and even wanting to be saved, but not really understanding what I was doing. And uh, I was told that day, that day you, you're saved. And uh, I struggled with my salvation for several years. And it wasn't until a few years later, I was 13 years old, and uh, a group uh, came down to help build part of my dad's church property. And uh, as they were there, one of the men was invited to preach. And he shared a message. And I remember the message because as a teenager, sometimes what people preach is adults preaching. You don't really understand what they're talking about. Too much of uh, big languages or too, depth, too deep of a thought. But he was talking about a tree who wanted to point to God. I remember I was into the story and following this message and understanding what, what he was talking about. But he was talking about service and using your life to glorify God. And, and I, I felt a burning desire in my heart. I said, I want to serve God. I want my life to glorify him. Uh, but then that, that's the lack of security of my salvation would keep coming back to me. But I'm not sure I'm even saved so at the end, he, he made an invitation, and he said something like this. He said, maybe you have a desire to serve God, and you're not serving him because of this or that. He gave several reasons why you're not serving God. He said, perhaps because God's not even your Lord and Savior. And you can't, save, you can't serve a God who you don't even know. And I was under conviction of sin, and I was asking myself, why am I not just making sure right now, once and for all, but it was shame, I was embarrassed that my friends would say, oh, look at the pastor's son walking forward to get saved. thought he was saved already. I'd been involved in different activities at church. I was embarrassed. I was embarrassed with my parents to tell them that I wasn't a Christian, that I was struggling in my heart. I was feeling insecure and to the point I couldn't deal with it anymore. And I remember going forward and uh, hoping my parents, somebody else would come talk to me, but not my parents. But sure enough, dad and mom were there up front. Nathan, what are you walking around for? And... Uh, but my mom, and I shared a little bit of this at Sunday school as well, my, my mom, as, as I told you before, had gone to Peru when she was 15. And uh, she went down believing she was Christian and uh, served the Lord, helped my grandfather plant a church and was involved in Sunday school class. And she said she was the bouncer of the church because their first church plant was right next to an uh, an alcohol store, so people would go drink and then try to wander into church, and she keep the drunkards out. <laughs> that was her job, she said. And uh, it wasn't until later on in their life, they were at Tennessee Temple, and Dr. Lee Robertson was preaching, and she leans over to my dad and uh, tells her, I don't think I'm saved. And uh, you hear my dad say this, he says, I married an unbeliever, I can't believe this. But sure enough, he did. 
my mom had been at church for a long time and just didn't have security of salvation. And so when she saw me walk down the aisle, she knew exactly where I was at in my heart. And she took me by my right hand and took me upstairs to a Sunday school class and treated me not like somebody, what, what are you doing here? No, she, she treated me like, a, like somebody had been to church for the first time and just opened up the Bible and said, this is what the Bible says about you. You're a sinner and there's consequences for sin and that is hell. And do you understand that you are lost and you're going to hell? Yes, I understand that. Do you understand that Jesus Christ died to forgive your sins? Do you want to ask him to be your Lord? Yes, I do. Do you want to ask him to forgive? Do you believe in him that he is the... Yes. And so that night I invited Jesus Christ into my heart and asked him to be my Lord, asked him to be my Savior, to forgive me for my sins. But I remember also saying to God, Lord, I want to serve you with my life. And if you open a door... I will go through that door. I will take that opportunity and I will serve you. So uh, a few years passed. This this is when I was 13. I was probably around 15 years old. Two young ladies from the church walked up to me and said, Nathan, we need help in Sunday school class. Would you help us in one of the Sunday school classes, six, seven, and eight-year-olds? And I remember I gave them the spiritual answer, and that is, let me pray about it. So I did. I did. I actually went home. I told dad and mom, like a good Christian kid, hey, dad, mom, this, this, uh, these two girls wanted me to help at, at Sunday school class at church, and I'm thinking about it, and I'm praying about it, and I felt what God answered and my parents answered were pretty much the same thing. You're not doing anything. You should probably get involved. And I did. I, I realized that I wasn't doing anything, so I went back that evening and said, yeah, I, I should have said yes right away. I'm really not doing anything, and I do want to serve, and this is an opportunity to serve so I'm going to start working. And it taught me a lot. <laughs> working with children taught me a lot. And I enjoyed every moment of it. But later on, the church, my dad's church continued to grow. And they divided the, the Sunday school classes up more because they had larger groups by ages. Now they're dividing up the teenagers. And so I had the teen from ages 14 through 18. And so uh, they needed a youth pastor. And they asked me to be in charge of the youth pastor. And that was a huge opportunity to minister and to grow and to, to learn to prepare messages and share and and challenge a group of teenagers we had around 60 teenagers in that Sunday school class and it was a blessing but then I was struggling I was struggling because I knew God wanted me to serve full-time but I didn't know exactly how uh and every time that the my heart started leaning towards church planning or being a pastor I would say yes God to everything except for that uh I had an opportunity to go to Costa Rica and uh, in Costa Rica as I played soccer and interpreted and preached to the people there. What we did was we would go to a soccer stadium and invite a challenge, a school, a district to bring out their best soccer team. And we would play soccer against this team and the stadium would get full of people watching the soccer game. And halfway you stop always and you switch sides and everything, but we would preach the gospel to the people. So I went and played soccer, but I also preached to the people while I was there. So one day I was just interpreting, and after I finished interpreting, I saw a man raise his hand. He wanted to get saved, so I went over, talked to him. He was around his 40s, and I remember sharing the gospel with him. I was probably around 17 years old, and I'm preaching to this man, and he makes a decision. I remember getting on our knees in the middle of the street and just asking God to save him. It was an awesome experience for me, and after he finished, he said, Nathan, now where do I go? Where do I go? Where, 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 what's the next step? And I said, you need to find a church. And I said, hold on a second. So I went to the man in charge of the ministry and I said, hey, did we make a connection with a church in this area? And they said, no, there's a church in this area and there's a church in this area. But we weren't able to find a church in this area. 
So I'm telling him, I said, you need to look for a church. He turns around, he looks at me, he says, Nathan, I have. I have looked for churches and didn't find any. That's why I'm glad to have heard somebody preaching the word of God. I've been hungry to hear the word of God. Hey, Nathan, would, would you all come back and start a church here? And my heart started pounding, and, I, and I, knew, I knew God was calling me to do something. And this is the first time that I really started associating what God was calling me to, ch- to planting churches. And the importance it is to have a strong local church that is preaching the word of God, where people can grow, where communities and families can, can help each other grow the way God planned it to be. Went back to Venezuela and finished graduating from Bible college. Had the opportunity to marry my wife. My wife lived half a block away from the church. And uh, she was invited uh, one, one day to a youth banquet. And she came to the youth banquet. And uh, she had been Catholic her whole life. There at church, she heard the gospel presented for the first time. And they were talking about how Jesus is a shepherd, the good shepherd, who went after the one lost sheep. And she saw herself as that lost sheep. And she, if you heard her testimony that night, she came to know Jesus Christ. And God has used her to bring every single one of her family members to Jesus Christ. And they're all at church now. But then God brought us together at church as well. And after we had both graduated from Bible college, we were asking God, what, what would you have for us? In Venezuela, my dad does about 20 different vacation Bible schools every summer. What we do is we go to public schools and we ask them, can we use your school... To, to do vacation Bible school. So the main auditorium, we gather in the Sunday school classes, we teach classes to the kids. So here we are at VBS, and Dad says, Nathan, they're asking me to do a VBS out in Eneal. And we have nobody who can run that VBS. Would you run this VBS this year? It's the first time he'd asked me to do this. And I said, okay, let's go. I'll do it. So we went, uh, we went out there, and uh, I shared a... Uh, with all the group of people that had volunteered to also go out to Leneal to help me do this vacation Bible school. And I said, this is going to be a rough area. There's a lot of children and uh, fam- families will have eight, eight nine, ten children. And uh, so I said, we'll, we'll have to work this way and that way. And we, event- we eventually went, scheduled a day. We went out there. What we do is we have a caravan. Okay, So we have four or five cars, plaster them with signs saying, this week VBS, come to vacation Bible school. You have a couple guys dressed up. Uh, different outfits, uh, Bible characters and whistles and so forth, and just running in the street. People are like, what is going on? And so then you hand out flyers. They say, come to Vacation Bible School, the, the honking the horn and so forth. Everybody's coming to, 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 to see what's going on. Obviously, we always have somebody throwing out some candies, and that really draws the kids out. And then we hand them flyers and say, hey, come to Vacation Bible School. We had a loudspeaker going off. I had the hard job of honking the horn, you know, uh, honk, 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 honk. And uh, we're going up the hill, and I remember seeing a kid up the hill. This kid is walking with a, a sport utility donkey, an SUD we call him. <clears throat> and uh, he was walking up the hill. He had, it looked like he had been working on the fields all day. And he sees us, and I'm like, he's probably about 14, 15. He's going to turn around, run down to see what this is all about. But I remember looking at him. He looked at us. He turned around and walked away. I thought that was odd. We were stopped in a certain area, so I was like, I have a chance. So I jumped out of the car, run up the hill. <laughs> yeah, catching my breath, and I'm like, hey, hey, I, I wanted to invite you to vacation Bible school. 
And uh, he's looking at me like, what, what, what's this all about? So I give him the spell. I don't know how you, how you say something real fast because you've memorized it or you said it so many times. But like, come to Vacation Bible School this week. We're going to have t- clowns in this classes and this. And we're going to be, and this could be fun. And there's no cost. It's be absolutely free. It's at the school. This. And he says, sorry, sir, excuse me. What's this all about? And I said, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'll, I'll slow down. I said, it's, it's about Jesus in Spanish. Todo esto se trata de Jesús. And he put a concerned face on it. And he said, ¿Cuál Jesús? What Jesus? Oh, sorry. Not, not Jesús, the mayor of this town. No. Talking about Jesus from the Bible. And that face didn't change. Excuse me, mister. What is the Bible? Now, I grew up in a Catholic nation. Most people go to church. They know what the Bible and they know who Jesus is. This was my first time meeting somebody who had never heard the name of Jesus and did not know the, about the existence of the Word of God. After speaking with this kid, the cars had moved forward and they caught up with me already. And I said, where do you live? Can I, can I bring you to Vacation Bible School this week? Can I go pick you up? So he agreed that if I went and spoke with his dad, that he would do his best to come. So I did. I spoke to his dad and he did come. He came all week. I remember the last day, I'm gathering information from all the teachers. And I hear the speaker inside saying, all right, everyone who, who asked Jesus into your heart this week, raise your hand. We want to see how many of you made a decision for Christ. And I go peek inside to see. And there he is right up front. He's raising his hand. And they said, we have a special gift for you. And they're handing out Bibles to each one of these kids. And they close the song with a famous song. Cristo me ama. You know it? Sing it with me. Niños pueden. Él es nuestro. Tells me. They are Si Cristo me ama. Si Cristo me ama, si Cristo me ama, remember looking at this kid and saying, Thank you, God. Thank you for putting me in this position and in this moment and in this hour. And I said, God, I don't I don't know what I'll be doing the rest of my life, but I want to do this. I want to make sure people who don't know your name, don't know who you are, don't know what your word says, and the freedom that comes from knowing him, that I have a part in bringing them to the knowledge of Jesus Christ. I remember that that week we signed up for our third year of Bible Institute, and they asked me, like they did every year, Nathan, why are you studying in the Bible Institute? And for the first time, I was able to say out loud, I said, God has called me to pastor. He's asking me to surrender my life, full-time ministry, and I'm going to be a church planner. And I remember it was a struggle. I even cried saying it because I had never said it out loud. It had been a struggle my whole life, but I knew that's what God wanted us to do. We came to the States. We raised our support. We met this beautiful church in 2006. Is that right? 2006. In 2007, we arrived to Venezuela. And in Venezuela, we got there, and I've shared this before, but if you don't remember, 
we arrived to Venezuela, I think it was a, a, a Wednesday, Thursday, I get a phone call from one of my friends growing up that studied at Bible college with me. He's pastoring now, and he says, Nathan, I, I need you to come and preach for me. So I'm thinking he's inviting me to his church, and he says, there's, there's a group of about eight people up in the mountains, about 30 minutes away from where I am, and they've been coming down to our church, and they're needing a church. So I'm trying to start a ministry up there, but we haven't had a chance or somebody who really will commit to go up there. But I told him I would go up this week, but I'm sick this week, and I asked somebody else, and he can't, I asked somebody else, he can't. So I'm calling you. I know you just arrived. You have nothing to do. You can go up there. That's exactly what he said. Sort of cornered me into this, and I said, yeah, you're right. I, I can go. So I told my wife, would you go with me? My grandparents took care of my only daughter at the time, Natalie, and we headed up into the mountains. A 30-minute drive up the mountain from the city was an hour and a half. But uh, once we got there, it's a... 30 minutes up, going up, up the hill. So we, we did. We went up to the mountains of Sanare for the very first time. And I got to this little house, mud house with tin roof. And gathered with about four children and four adults. One of them was the only one that had been there for the first time. And I shared a gospel message. And this one man asked. He said, I would like to be saved. And I sat with him and opened my Bible and shared with him the gospel. And he made a decision for Jesus Christ that night. And I was excited about that. But the lady who was hosting in her house, she says, would you come in for for coffee, Pastor. And, and I said, sure, coffee at 9 o'clock at night? Yeah, sure, I'll, I'll have coffee. You know, she brings me a cup of coffee, she's stirring it, and she lets go of the spoon, and it's standing straight in the middle, you know? Here you go, brother. So I'm like, wow, okay, welcome to Venezuela. And I'm looking through the house, and if you've ever been to a third world country, and, or even if you've been there and come back to the States for a long period, and you come back, everything looks so small, everything looks so dim, dirty and I'm looking through this house like wow look at how they're living I'm just scanning through the house and all of a sudden I'm looking at her refrigerator and there's my prayer card on her refrigerator and I go where did you get that did I give you that when I showed up and she's like oh no pastor we went down to Barquisimeto where your dad's church is and we he was preaching a missions conference and on the table were some prayer cards, and there was your prayer card. And he, he was saying, pray for my sons. He's, he's coming back to Venezuela, and he's praying about where God would have him start a church. So we took a prayer card, and we put it on the refrigerator. We've been praying every day that you come right here, and you start a church for us. I remember getting in the car and driving back down to the city and going, that's not what I had in mind. But I remember looking at my wife, and I said, but this is an open door. And there's a need here. So we did. We started the Open Door Baptist Church up in the mountains of Sanare. And uh, in my, my, my mind, I said, we'll work here for a few years, and then we'll go somewhere else. And uh, God will bring somebody from the, my dad's Bible college, and he'll come in and fill in the spot. But we started working. Some people would come up, but, then, but nobody would stay with us. So then we started training a couple at our church. They were both uh, nurse, nurse pr- practitioners, both him and his wife. And a smart man with a huge desire to serve the Lord. His name is Miguel and his wife, Sophia. We invested about four years in their life, and we're working with them. And, and after these four years, I'm like, this man's almost ready. We're thinking about an ordination soon. And he says, Pastor, just got to share with you. I've got a huge burden for the Moroccan people. And I said, praise the Lord for the Moroccan people. Uh, wow, that's great. So we started praying. We actually, long story short, because that's a huge story. That's another side story. Miguel is now in Spain, and he's traveling in and out with the Moroccans. He's made friends with several 
wealthy Moroccans and they're bringing him in, paying for everything to come in and speak to their families about Jesus. I'm thankful because we had a huge part in that. So I start, after we sent Miguel off and his wife, another couple started coming to church and Carlos was a banker, or he worked at a bank, not a banker, worked at a bank and his wife, and uh, started coming to church faithfully, started growing, and two years later, after investing in them, he says, Pastor, financially, we just cannot make it in the country anymore, so we're thinking of moving to Mexico, somebody's invited us over there, and we're going to join a Bible institute there, study, graduate, and maybe serve the Lord in Mexico, so we were, we prayed for them, they sent off to Mexico, we were like, wow, praise the Lord for Mexico, uh, thank you, Lord. So then I was like, Lord, I'm going to invest in five families, you know, five families at once. And we did. We started training five families. But the truth is, as time went by, that desire to see somebody else take over the ministry left our hearts. We fell in love. We built a home there. And we saw ourselves dying in this ministry. But in 2019, uh, one, of the four, one of the five couples was my, young, my wife's younger brother, my brother-in-law, and his wife. And in 2018, we ordained him as, as a pastor, our first national pastor ordained at the church. And uh, when 2019 came, we were going to come for furlough. We were here visiting you as well. And we left him in charge of the church. And uh, after returning a year, almost a year later, we found the church as healthy as we left it and even growing with new people coming to church, new people being baptized, waiting for me to arrive to get baptized. And I said, why didn't you baptize? And no, we wanted to wait for you, pastor. Oh, wow. So after sitting and watching, taking a back seat ride to what he was doing, we realized we love this church, we love what's going on, but I think God has us to move out of this church. So mid-2020s, we moved out of the city, of, of, of the mountains, and came down to, into the city of Barquisimeto, where I had grown up. I'm now about 15 minutes away from where I grew up and went to church, and we're starting our second church plant. It's called Anchor Baptist Church. And God has teamed us up right away, off right from the beginning, with my other brother-in-law. Now, this first brother-in-law is my wife's younger brother. Now, I'm working with my younger sister and her husband. And uh, he's a national pastor. He had been pastoring for 14 years. And we both found ourselves in the city at the same time with the same desire to plant a church in Barquisimeto. And we talked about it. We prayed about it. And Pastor Edilman and myself, we started to anchor Baptist Church. Uh, so we, we both started a Bible study in different towns. You'll see about it this in the video in a few minutes. All this is introduction, people. This will be a long night. <laughs> so uh, we started two Bible studies. Then we joined those Bible studies. And for Mother's Day of 2022, yes, we had our first church service. And uh, we, ha- we rented, I think, 60, 70 chairs. And we had 108 people show up for church. So we were blown away. We were not expecting that amount of people, but everybody was so excited. Everybody brought everybody with them from their family, and everybody was at church. They were excited to have their old local church. And uh, we've been able to work at this church together as a team, uh, just doing evangelization and discipleship and visiting people at their homes and gathering at homes and working with the marriages and, and training the marriages, discipling the marriages. And the church has quickly grown in one year. Our, our, our first year anniversary, that was this year, we celebrated it in June. We moved it up a month. We had 260 people at church. It just couldn't fit the people. We were, Lord, what are you doing in this place? This is growing way too fast. And we're thankful for that. We're thankful for that. And we were able to purchase a property. And right now we're in the process of building 
some Sunday school classes and some bathrooms. And you'll see that in the video in a sec. And uh, our desire is not only to have Sunday school classes, but Lord willing, next year, what we want to do is start our own Bible Institute and start training several of the men, the women, even some teenagers who have mentioned, Pastor, we want, we want to start preparing for what God has for us. And we're excited about what God has, and we're looking forward to the future and looking forward to what God may do and uh, what part he would have us to play in this. And uh, just excited because this is not something I have done. This is what God has been doing, and you have been a huge part in this as well. I'll let you watch the video, and then I'll close with a thought. Venezuela was once the richest country in Latin America. It has the largest known oil reserves in the world, and its democratic government was once praised worldwide. But today, Venezuela's democratic institutions and its economy are in shambles. The country has the highest inflation rate in the world, making food and medicine inaccessible to most Venezuelans. Over the last four years, its GDP has fallen 35%, which is a sharper drop than the one seen during the Great Depression in the U.S. And the country's murder rate has surpassed that of the most dangerous cities in the world. But instead, the opposite has happened. Maduro has consolidated his power, bringing the country closer to authoritarian rule. We are the Arce family, missionaries in Venezuela. Venezuela is a beautiful country, known for its vast riches and resources, but also a country with the highest inflation rate in the world. A country whose people are leaving in exile all around the world, and the country isn't even at war. For 14 years, God allowed us to serve up in the mountains of Sanare. A humble place where we start the Open Door Baptist Church. Now this is a ministry that have worked within the community through the Feed the Children ministry. We have served the hospitals, preaching the gospel to doctors, to nurses, to patients. We have also helped the need, the ones that are homeless, the people in extreme poverty by providing clothes and shoes and all kinds of donations that we receive from churches and families and friends that want to help out. This ministry up in Sanare have also been a training center for Venezuelan people that have surrendered for full-time ministry. And they are now serving the Lord as missionaries overseas, as well as national pastors. They are now taking on and carrying on the ministry. Mid-2020s, God allowed our whole family to relocate to the city of Barquisimeto. It is the fourth largest city in Venezuela. And uh, we began visiting several national pastors and their churches, preaching, uh, being invited over. And uh, the question started arising, what was the greatest success you had working up in Sanare? And uh, we had discovered, we realized as we worked in Sanare that to have a strong church, you have to have strong families. And to have strong families, you need to have strong marriages. And uh, marriages are under attack a lot in our churches. So I was encouraging pastors to establish strong marriages and work with the couples. So I got invited a lot with my wife to go and teach marital seminars. But then we began encouraging pastors to go a little further than that. And that it was to, to disciple 
the couples, to work with the couples, not only before they got married, but even after they got married, several years into marriage, to invest time in preparing them how to be husbands, how to be wives, according to the Bible. And as we did this, and as we, we taught pastors and invested in their churches, God started to lay a burden in a specific area of the city of Barquisimeto to start a new church plant. We started Bible studies around the city, and we did them in garages and patios and front porches of different church members until God provided a place where we now call and gather as Anchor Baptist Church. We have improved our property little by little as the church has grown faster than even we anticipated. What is our greatest need right now? Our greatest need right now is more room. We're thankful the church has grown a lot faster than we expected, and that is because of God's grace. But the children's classes are all crammed, and the teenagers have started to grow quite fast. So we're praying to, be, to build five new Sunday school classes, large rooms that will serve for church on Sunday, but also for the Bible Institute we want to start next year, a place where we can train the men and women that God is calling to the ministry. There are still so many places without churches in Venezuela. So our desire is to serve God, helping national pastors to receive proper training, to help out uh, leaders and Sunday school teachers to be well prepared to serve and to answer the call that God is giving them to go around Venezuela or around the world preaching the gospel. Please don't stop praying for the ministry in Venezuela and for the incredible opportunity that God has given us as a family to serve and to remain in a country that is so hungry for the gospel. Only Christ is the hope for the Venezuelan people, the hope for salvation, and the hope for lives to be transformed. So with your help and with your prayers, our family can continue to serve the Lord for many more years. We just want to say thank you. Thank you for loving us throughout these years. Thank you for praying for us. Thank you for giving so that we can go and do what God has called us to do. God bless you. So if you, um, if you have a phone, a tablet, you can look up NathanRC.com and you'll see our prayer, prayer letters, uh, some information that we try to update. I, I, I run that webpage myself and I, I'm not always up to date as I should and I apologize. But most of our information is updated on there quite regularly. So if you want to pray, you can even contact or write me from there and ask a question. So it's pretty easy, NathanRC.com. And uh, look it up. Uh, it's, I got about nine more minutes here. And um, I wanted to share a thought from the Word of God. And it basically comes out of the book of Acts, chapter 3. And I'm going to try to be brief because there might be an opportunity here to show, uh, answer some questions. And I'm, I'm not afraid that I'm not feeding the church. I, I felt very well fed this morning with the Word of God. And I know this church is a well-fed, spiritually church. And, uh, but I do want to challenge the church about something that always has challenged my heart. And I come up, especially when I have short periods of time, I'll share this. The Bible says here in Acts chapter 3, it says, Now Peter and John went up together 
to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, and a man lame from his birth was uh, being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called Beautiful. Sorry, that is called the Beautiful Gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the pe- temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter, directing his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but, I, but what I do have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankle, ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. Now, I, I, I make a, a short example out of this. Venezuela is a country full of beggars right now. It's a sad sight to see. You can't go into a restaurant or almost any place without running into somebody who's asking for some food. You can't stop at any red light without somebody trying to either beg for some money or uh, show you a need. Either their child is sick or something else is happening. Or you'll find a couple of them fighting to wash your windshield because they're hoping by doing that they will give you some money. Or you'll find an entertainer out there juggling something or doing some kind of trick so that afterwards he'll come by the window and hopefully you can give him some money. There's, it's happening everywhere in the country and it's, it becomes to the point that you get used to seeing these people begging. And at first, I remember seeing a child knock on my window and just breaking my heart and saying, Honey, do you have anything on you? And you gave it to them. And then you see this kid run off to somebody underneath the shade and hand him that bill and you're going... Huh, what's going on here? And that, that's, that's not who I wanted to give the money to. And so this kind of things will, will start making you suspicious about who you're helping. But not only that, you, you see it every day, it gets to the point that it becomes a nuisance. They're in the way. Hey, no, don't clean my windshield. Then not, no, it's, not, it's not just a nuisance. Now it's a bother. It gets to the point you just ignore it. And I, what's interesting about this passage is because the Bible mentions that this man was laid daily. Sort of like our story this morning. This wasn't the first time he had been there. Peter and John went at the hour of prayer. It was, it was a custom to go to pray. So he had to have passed this man whenever he went up to the temple to pray. So he had seen, he, he probably know, knows this person by name. Or perhaps not. Because sometimes we, we see needs... But because we don't feel we have anything to give, we sort of ignore it, put it to a side. But here it is, st- sitting right next to his road. Peter and John, after receiving the great commission from, from Jesus Christ to go into all the world and preach, they're going in to pray. They're going to seek God in prayer, wondering, Lord, how are we going to do this great task that you have come, this impossible task that you have given us? And seeking God in prayer... They meet a need. Somebody just asking for some money. Peter looks at his situation. He goes, I have no silver and gold. The first phrase that catches my attention is that he directs his gaze right at him. And I'm going in my mind, ah, man, you're already in trouble. Because if you're in the car and somebody's asking for something and you look at them, 
<laughs> they're not going to give up. If you just ignore them for a while, they'll move on. You know, like, like a deacon coming by with an offering plate, you know? Yeah, don't look at them. Just let them go by. So he makes his first mistake culturally. He looks right at him. But he doesn't only look at him. He says, hey, hey, look at me. Pay attention. Look at me. Look at us. He not only does this, the verse says that now he's looking at them expecting to receive something from them. Now he's not only hoping, he's, he's got his expectations up and he's ready to receive something. And Peter says, I have no money, no, nothing to offer you. But what I do have, I give. And there's, there's a powerful picture here because so many times in our lives we see so many needs. And, and some of them don't feel like it's something I can solve with money. Or it's something I don't know how to deal with. And we look at these issues and go, I, I don't know how to help here. So we ignore them and we pretend like somebody else will deal with it. But I've come to understand that in our lives, as we walk serving God, God will create opportunities and moments in which he wants you to serve him. A God-created encounter with somebody who needs to hear what you have to say. And I could share a couple of stories about that. My time is gone, and, and I'll, I'll, I've used up my time. But I'll just say this. I would like you to think in your life and as you walk your daily life, what little things has God put in your way for you to see that you're trying to ignore? That you're trying to say, yeah, it's, it's, it's been that way forever. You know what? what? What can we do about it? You know, it just is it's so sad, but, but God actually wants you to do something about it. And when we come up to that person and realize I can't really change your situation, but I know somebody who can. Because I can give what I have. We can't give what we don't have. If you don't have it, you can't give it. But we have a relationship with a Savior who transforms lives. There's so many people right now struggling, living their lives in such a, a mess. And they need somebody who can share with them the only thing that will transform their life, and that's Jesus. And when Jesus comes to this person's life, it wasn't just a solution that he had some money for, for supper that night. No, this, this life has changed completely. I would encourage you, as you walk your daily life, that you don't forget to notice the people that God has put daily in your way. Not an accident that he's there. For you to share what you do have. And that is a relationship with the living Savior that transforms people's life. But it's never going to make an impact if you don't share it. How will people hear? How will they know? Unless someone tells them. Unless someone interacts with them. Unless somebody shows them the love of Jesus. What is a need that God is bringing to your attention right now? in your life, in your community, at your college, at your school, at your work, that perhaps you've been ignoring and God is trying to say, hey, I put this here because I, the God Almighty, want to intervene in that person's life and I want to use you to accomplish that goal. We should stand up in the middle of this world 
and not hide, but say, look at me. I have something to give you. Would you stand up in your community? Would you stand up in your house at work? Would you stand up at your college, at your school, and say, look at me. Not, not who I am, but I have something to give. Would you believe that today? That you have been called by God to be a light in this world. To not hide, to not be off in a corner, but to boldly stand up and say, I have something to give. Because we do. And it is the greatest gift that has ever been given. I'm going to pray. Uh, my time is gone. If you have any questions about the ministry, I would greatly like to answer them. I'll be standing at the foyer, and uh, I'll close by saying the display table in the back is being retired tonight. I'll be traveling on a plane, and I do not plan on taking anything from that table with me. So please come by and say, ooh, I would love to have this and pray for the RC family, and we would graciously give you those maracas and cuatros and all those decorations that are back there to keep. Next time we come, we hope to bring some new stuff. So I, I give that as a, a small announcement. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this church. I, f I thank you for their impact in my family's life. How they have prayed for us, how they have been there, how they have communicated with us. Thank you for Brother Dennis and his wife, how they have loved us throughout the years. We have felt loved by him. Bless him, Lord, in a mighty way. Thank you for the provision that you have done for our family, for food, for medicine, for clothing, for just everyday needs that dear people like Sister Listina sending care packages to Venezuelan people and to our family. Lord, bless her mightily for her love and generosity towards us. Thank you for a church that has loved us throughout these years and has been part of what you have called us to do and that is to stand up and say, I have something to give by God's grace and by God's power. Lord, I'm thankful for churches that look at needs and don't look away. But say, God, what would you have me do about this? And in Jesus' name, Lord, I thank you because you have used them mightily to purchase properties for other pastors Lord, the impact in Venezuela, Lord, only heaven will tell what these people have planted. Bless this church. But Lord, help them to go even further this mission year. That they would look up even further and say, God, what else would you have us do here in our own town, in our own neighborhood, in our community, and even around the world? Lord, bless us and give us the boldness to stand up wherever we are. And remember that it's not about our silver and gold but it is about you, Lord, and that we will stand up and say we are, we've been called to be a sign that points to heaven and that people would look on us and that we would point to you, Lord, but that we would not hide because people are lost in darkness. And Lord, that we would stand up and say, look, I have something to give. Bless this church, Lord. I thank you for this opportunity in Jesus' name. Amen.